This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. Uh, my name is John Fleetham, and I'm Professor of Medicine at the University of British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Terry Chauber and Dr. Pam Nahid, who are two of the co-chairs of the subcommittee that developed the recent ATS, CDC, ERS, and IDSA guidelines, Treatment of Drug-Resistant Tuberculosis, published in the November 15th edition of the Blue Journal. Dr. Chauber is Chief Field Services Branch at the Division of tuberculosis elimination at the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta. Dr. Nahid is Professor of Medicine at the University of California in San Francisco. Thank you both for joining us today. If I could start with you, Payam, why did the ATS and the other societies decide to develop clinical practice guidelines on this topic at this time? Uh, thank you, John. Um, the, the real driving force behind developing this um, partnered uh, multi-society and CDC um, guideline for drug-resistant TB was uh, really the acknowledgement and awareness that uh, the management of drug-resistant tuberculosis was uh, had had lacked a, um, a, a strong uh, evidence base and analysis approach to help guide practitioners on the selection of drugs, on the uh, the durations. Um, among a, a variety of other management questions that uh, providers had. Um, the prior document um, that ATS, uh, CDC, IDSA um, developed was for drug susceptible TB that was published in 2016. And at that time, an, a, a recognition of a need for a, a, an additional um, uh, uh, practice guideline uh, specifically focused on drug resistant tuberculosis, which is um, significantly more complicated to diagnose and to manage and to complete the full course of regimen um, was indeed needed. And so the, the societies um, repartnered uh, for, for this latest endeavor just published last month. So Terry, who developed these guidelines and, and what was your methodology? Well, these guidelines were uh, collaboratively developed by the American Thoracic Society the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, uh, the European Respiratory Society, and the Infectious Diseases Society of America. So starting in 2016, we pulled together a, a carefully selected panel of 25 specialists in pulmonary medicine, infectious diseases, pediatrics, primary care, public health, epidemiology, economics, pharmacokinetics, uh, and microbiology. And we subsequently held a couple of face-to-face -face meetings during which we discussed specific questions and the existing research evidence, and we then drafted recommendations. Uh, then over a couple of, of years, we held video conferencing calls on a nearly monthly basis to achieve full discussion of the evidence. and to develop the, the recommendations. As to what the methodology was, that answer is a, a long and complicated, so a complicated one, but bear with me because for the understanding of our audience, uh, I, I, I am going to go into a little detail. Uh, unlike earlier approaches to uh, any effort like this that would have consisted of systematic reviews of aggregate cohort data um, that would then lead to the development of, of, of recommendations. Uh, instead, we organized and uh, used a meta-analysis of individual patient data, an individual patient data meta-analysis from 50 studies from 25 countries with over 12,000 patients who had confirmed uh, rifampin-resistant pulmonary TB. And since there are very few randomized controlled trials, that are used that have been used with respect to drug resistant TB the we would we instead used uh, individual patient data from these from uh, observational studies 
that would then represent the next best level of evidence for analysis. Uh, and in the data in our individual patient data meta-analysis, most of the patients were from such observational studies. The meta-analysis that we used uh, included propensity score matching. Propensity scores are a useful statistical matching technique when you're trying to draw a, a causal conclusions from observational studies uh, where treatment is not randomly assigned. It's not like they're randomized controlled trials where the patient is randomly um, uh, assigned to one treatment uh, methodology or another. And the use of propensity scores is an attempt to estimate the effect of a treatment by accounting for covariates that uh, predict the patient receiving that treatment. Um, we use propensity score matching to attempt to reduce confounding by many variables, uh, including age, sex, HIV co-infection, uh, acid fast bacillus, smear results, cavitation on chest x-rays, uh, the number of possibly effective drugs uh, in the regimen with which the patient was treated, and uh, the history of, of the patients being treated with uh, first-line or second-line TB drugs. Next, then, we used electronic questionnaires to develop and prioritize 21 questions related to TB treatment. And then we formulated these questions into what's called a PICO format. Uh, I'll explain what that is. When you're asking a clinical question, uh, it, the question itself should be directly relevant to the patient or to the problem at hand, and it should be phrased in a way uh, that you can obtain an answer. And so PICO is a mnemonic that's made, that, that, that it's used in, in making this whole process easier um, by parsing out the important parts uh, of a well-built clinical question. And so a PICO strategy uh, helps you formulate what are the key concepts uh, that can answer a question. So it's spelled out P-I-C-O. P is for the population of interest, I is for the intervention, C is for comparators, which are the principal alternatives to the intervention, and O is for outcomes. And so for each of our 21 questions, we systematically examine the population, the intervention, the comparators, and the outcomes to arrive at the answers that would constitute the basis of, of these guidelines. This is the most systematic way to go about engendering guidelines for uh, an area that is at once complex and for which we did not have randomized controlled trials to then gather data. Uh, so we attempted to answer each of the questions by conducting systematic reviews. We then summarized the evidence. We formulated recommendations. And we assessed then the certainty of the evidence and the rating of the strength of recommendations using an approach that was developed at McMaster University uh, in Ontario about 20 years ago. Um, and that methodology is called the GRADE methodology. That's spelled out G-R-A-D-E, and it stands for the grading of recommendations, assessment, development, and evaluation. The great approach, the great approach has it's become a popular method of assessing the quality of evidence uh, or the confidence uh, in effect estimates and the strength of recommendations that one would make on a healthcare question um, based on uh, the package of a structured literature interview, systematic uh, literature review, uh, systematic reviews uh, of, of that literature, meta-analysis of combined data, and expert discussion. And so the object is to assess the certainty in the evidence and determine the strength of each and every recommendation. And we subjected uh, the evidence that we had from our individual patient data meta-analysis to this great approach to answer each of the 21 questions that we agreed needed to be answered. Overall, the, the, the methodology was complex, very systematic. It was intended to be thorough and fair in considering the evidence for each of these important questions uh, regarding the patient outcomes uh, in response to different treatment uh, interventions. 
over. Good. Well, thank you. That's that's very comprehensive. Um, Payam, the first topic addressed in these guidelines is the number of effective drugs in a regimen for multi-drug resistant tuberculosis. And specifically, should patients be prescribed five effective drugs versus more or fewer drugs during the intensive and continuation phases of treatment? Um, in answering this and, and other questions, I, can I ask you both to give the certainty uh, based on the evidence for each recommendation? Yes, sure. Uh, in, given the uh, analytic techniques uh, that Terry just described, <clears throat> and in conjunction, um, making the determination uh, uh, as to um, the importance of drug susceptibility for any drug evaluated. Uh, in other words, one of the uh, foundational uh, aspects of this guideline is that uh, drugs uh, um, should only be used on the basis of uh, either documented drug susceptibility or high likelihood of susceptibility. And we conducted the analyses in a very similar uh, fashion. And so with the inclusion of only drugs for which we knew or, or had a high suspicion of susceptibility, um, we uh, then evaluated um, the effectiveness of the number of drugs using essentially zero to two effective drugs as a reference value um, and sort of moved up with each additional agent added uh, to determine at what point uh, mortality uh, was significantly reduced and, and was uh, also um, uh, conferring uh, higher, highest treatment success um, uh, rates. Uh, it's important to recognize that, again, to Terry's point, these are, uh, this is an evidence base developed on observational data without randomization. Uh, and sure, that has some uh, certainly um, challenges with it, but it is, frankly, the best available evidence to date uh, around these drugs. And uh, as such, we we counted each drug as having equivalent effectiveness, which I think is an assumption. Uh, certainly various antibiotics and antimicrobials have various degrees of potency. But since this is not a randomized clinical trial, we aren't able to make that kind of drug-to-drug um, -drug determination. So with, with that, those sort of basic uh, aspects determined, uh, we found that mortality was um, significantly reduced when a regimen contained five effective drugs in the intensive phase, having four uh, effective drugs. Um, the certainty in the evidence for both of these were, were very low certainty of the evidence, uh, and the recommendation was conditional. So Terry, the, the next topic addressed was the duration of intensive and continuation phases of treatment. And specifically, should patients undergo intensive phase treatment for more or less than six months after culture conversion, or more or less than 18 months after culture conversion? Well, I'll take on the first question first uh, with, with respect to uh, the duration uh, of the intensive uh, phase. Yeah. It's interesting to note that the duration of the intensive phase has never been examined uh, through a randomized control clinical trial. Uh, the length of the intensive phase uh, used uh, has come to be defined by a combination of practicality, by the clinical experiences of, uh, of MDR-TB experts, and most recently by an individual patient data meta-analysis that led in 2011 to a WHO practice guideline recommendation that the intensive treatment phase be extended to at least uh, eight months. In our analyses, we found that MDR-TB patients who received five to seven months of intensive phase treatment after sputum culture conversion uh, had the highest odds of success uh, in an adjusted propensatory, uh, uh, propensity score matched analysis. Um, uh, as a result, our guidelines recommend an intensive phase treatment of between five and seven months after culture conversion uh, for uh, MDR patients. However, different factors, uh, including the clinical context, the extent of disease, the response to uh, treatment, all should be taken into consideration when you choose a final duration uh, from within that recommended range. Uh, unfortunately, from a grade perspective, 
there was low certainty uh, of evidence uh, in our data. And in the long term, randomized controlled trials comparing different intensive phases and duration uh, are definitely needed. Uh, with respect to the second question about how long should the continuation phase uh, last, uh, our data suggested a total treatment duration of at least 15 and up to 21 months after culture conversion for patients who had MDR-TB only. In patients who have pre-XDR-TB and XDR-TB, um, we suggest that there be a uh, total treatment duration of between, five, uh, between 15 and 24 months uh, after culture conversion. Uh, and again, uh, as with the intensive phase, uh, in the continuation phase, the clinical context, the extent of disease uh, should all be uh, relevant in terms of the clinician's decision as to uh, what the final duration should be uh, of, the, of that uh, treatment um, from within the recommended range. Unfortunately, from a great perspective, again, there was very low certainty in the evidence of our data for the continuation phase. And again, in the long term, randomized controlled trials uh, comparing different intensive phases uh, uh, and uh, durations um, are needed and will should also be said that randomized controlled trials comparing different um, uh, uh, consolidation continuation phases um, uh, and durations uh, should be should be uh, are, are needed and, and can I co just comment on that aspect um, of, of this practice guideline? And frankly, also, uh, this is relevant to the WHO guidelines in terms of duration of regimen for these, uh, uh, duration of treatment for these newer regimens. Uh, we are uh, really entering a new uh, era of uh, newer chemical entities, newer agents uh, with greater potency than, and, um, prior second-line uh, uh, drugs. Uh, and so there, there, there remains uncertainty about truly how long a patient should be treated with the newer agents combined. And, and the data sets that we have um, we are uh, growing over time. Observational data are, are um, being uh, uh, gathered around some of these newer all-oral agents um, based regimens, and I think I think we'll, I anticipate uh, that in in a near term um, we'll we'll have more data to look at how much further we can reduce the duration of therapy uh, using these more potent uh, drugs. Now, the next large area addressed um, in these guidelines is the drug and drug classes for the treatment of multi-resistant uh, tuberculosis. And specifically, whether outcomes were safely improved when 14 different drugs were included. Um, Payam, can you summarize the important recommendations in regard to the different medications? I'd be happy to. Um, the, again, using the analytic techniques that Terry described earlier in this 12,000 patient uh, records from 25 countries, we sought to identify the medications that were associated with improved outcomes for patients that limited toxicity. And, and we also incorporated patient preferences through this process about the selection of drugs that uh, would um, make up a regimen. Um, I think critical to this uh, answering this question is also, again, the important uh, uh, aspect of drug susceptibility. Uh, we limited our analyses to regimens with drugs to which the patient's isolate was documented as susceptible and having low likelihood of resistance. Um, and under this sort of more even playing field, um, for each drug or drug class, we asked whether in patients with MDR-TB outcomes of treatment success and mortality um, were uh, safely improved when the regimen included the drug versus not. Um, and we conducted this for all drugs considered broadly by TB experts in the field to have some activity and value for drug-resistant TB um, uh, and historically has been used in this domain. Uh, the, I, I, the list of drugs are in the document itself. I, I won't go through them here, but I'll make a couple of highlights uh, for the listeners. Um, first of all, of all the drugs we evaluated, 
Bedaclin, moxifloxacin, and levofloxacin, the two, two fluoroquinolone uh, drugs that we evaluated in the class, uh, performed really well in the analysis with, with large reductions in mortality, improved p- treatment success rates, um, relatively few adverse effects, um, as, as corresponding to uh, sort of overall favorable balances of benefits and harms uh, as it pertains to sort of outcomes of interest and patient preferences. Um, so those were very highly ranked uh, and, and strong, uh, strong recommendations were made for bedaclin for the use of uh, fluoroquinolone, specifically moxifloxacin and levofloxacin. Um, with very low certainty in the evidence, but the effect on the mortality uh, and treatment success was substantial enough that the panel felt that a strong recommendation was warranted for these specific drugs. Um, we also saw favorable reductions, uh, large reductions, frankly, in mortality and improved treatment success for linazolid-containing regimens. Um, uh, however, the, there's well-known adverse effects noted for linazolid, uh, and this impacted the balance of the benefits and harms that was slightly less favorable compared to bedaquin and later generation quinolones. And this uh, resulted in a um, standard conditional recommendation for linazolid, um, uh, uh, but again, with very low certainty evidence. I, would, I mean, I should say uh, across the board, um, the certainty in the evidence is very low because of all the uh, aspects of uh, um, uh, that Terry described and, and the uh, uncertainties that come with observational data, despite this very sophisticated and robust analytic technique uh, that was used, including a series of sensitivity analyses, we still, as a panel, had very low certainty in the evidence. There's a couple of, uh, there's a few notable uh, um, relationships that we, we found. For example, uh, there was synergy whenever uh, bedaclin was used in combination with uh, linazolid uh, or clofazamine in the analyses in terms of um, reduced uh, mortality and improved success, success rates. Uh, so some interesting um, combinations came about um, that, that had uh, more potency, um, it seemed, than, than other comparisons. Uh, we also made some uh, conditional recommendations against a series of drugs, um, specifically uh, we uh, viewed um, Esionamide or its sister drug, prothionamide, um, uh, canamycin, uh, capriomycin as two injectables, uh, PAS as all um, having um, really the evidence seemed to illustrate that there was either no effect on mortality or possibly a slight increase in mortality when these drugs were used uh, and reduced uh, treatment success uh, possibilities. Uh, and this was, frankly, I think, um, a, a bit of a surprise to many providers, uh, specifically around the injectables, because for uh, decades, um, the, the uh, understanding had been that these injectables, specifically canamycin, capromycin, were um, really essential to the treatment of drug-resistant TB. And so this was one of the main discoveries through this analysis um, uh, that that I think has really opened an era of uh, uh, injectable-free all-oral regimens uh, being being developed. Um, finally, we made uh, strong recommendations, uh, despite very low certainty in the evidence, against macrolides and uh, amoxicillin uh, clavionate to be used uh, as solo agents, if you will, um, uh, or as agents um, that uh, directed at, at, at curing drug-resistant TB, they they were both these both both of these uh, drugs and drug classes were um, associated with significantly increased more risk of death and um, significantly reduced uh, treatment success. But in summary, when we looked at uh, all the options uh, you know available to providers and to patients, we were um, able to build a strategy or propose a strategy for building a treatment regimen. And this is uh, depicted in a table in the guideline um, that on the basis of the evidence, the balancing of benefits and harms for each drug, 
the experience um, clinically of all the MDR TB experts in the committee, as well as incorporating the perspectives of the patients um, that encourage uh, encourages the use of an all oral regimen with five effective drugs, again, to which the, drug, the isolate of the patient is either susceptible or has a high likelihood uh, of being susceptible. Uh, and so I think this was really a, a new era for, for, for treatment of drug-resistant TB. Thank you. That's a nice summary of uh, 14 different recommendations. Um, the next area addressed was the use of standardized short-course treatment uh, of less than 12 months. Uh, Terry, is 12 months of treatment adequate or is 18 to 24 months of treatment, does that lead to better outcomes? What you really are asking uh, is for a perspective on the Bangladeshi regimen, uh, the, the widely reported outcome of uh, a multinational trial um, called the STREAM trial, um, standard treatment regimen of anti-TB drugs for patients with MDR-TB. And that was a randomized phase three non-inferiority trial that was recently conducted to uh, assess a shorter course regimen that comprised of the, uh, the drugs that we have, the existing drugs for MDR-TB. This regimen uh, had achieved success rates uh, in excess of 80% um, in cohort studies, and the shorter course regimen uh, that was developed was standardized and comprised of canamycin, moxifloxacin, protheonamide, clopazamine, pyrazinamide, high-dose isoniazid, and nifambutol um, for an initial phase of four to six months, and then moxifloxacin, uh, clopazamine, pyrazinamide, and nifambutol in the continuation phase for five months, the total duration of therapy being uh, nine, uh, between nine and 11 months as compared to the more individualized regimen of uh, 18 to 24 months of therapy uh, that uh, most of us are more familiar with. The shorter course regimen was judged by the guidelines committee um, to have minimal desirable effects on treatment success, mortality, or culture conversions, and to have small to moderate undesirable effects including adverse events uh, and uh, limited applicability and having uh, to use uh, a, an injectable canamycin as part of the standardized regimen. Um, um, uh, and uh, although the STREAM trial found the short course regimen to be non-inferior to an 18 to 24 month regimen uh, with respect to the um, primary efficacy outcome, our guideline committee could not make a recommendation either for or against the standardized short course nine to 11 month regimen as compared to longer individualized regimen because the settings uh, for which uh, our guidelines were being made are settings in which one has uh, 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 ready access to culture, radiography, uh, and uh, molecular uh, analysis. Um, in our document, we made a recommendation that randomized clinical trials be conducted to evaluate the efficacy, safety, and tolerability of modified short course regimens that would include newer oral agents, exclude injectables, and include drugs for which susceptibility, susceptibility is confirmed or thought to be uh, high, highly likely. If the shorter course regimen uh, were to be used, we recommended obtaining drug susceptibility testing for all medications in the regimen, uh, except for clofazamine, for which reliable testing is not available. And we uh, recommend careful side effect monitoring and close case management, especially in patients with uh, HIV. If I might just add to that um, briefly, I think the, 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 the role that, you know, such a shorter course standardized and truly standardized, that means anyone who comes through the door with drug resistance to isoniazid rifampin as MDR could benefit from this standard package of drugs. Um, the hope has, has continues to be to find such a regimen 
But this particular regimen had a number of agents in it for which there is established drug resistance in, in the community. Um, and so it just became very difficult to implement such uh, uh, or to make a recommendation for for such a, a solution for, for the U.S. setting, for the North American setting uh, and for, for Europe. Um, however, with that said, I think there is still a strong desire in the TB therapeutics field to develop uh, standardized regimens that would be effective um, in, you know, without having a need for uh, a very sophisticated or extensive drug resistance testing in each individual. We are far from reaching that point. But this, for me, was one of a regimen concept that performed well in the field uh, in settings other than the U.S. Uh, that that was of interest to the providers, um, and so we assessed it as a PICO question. So the next two recommendations relate to the treatment of isoniazid resistant and rifampin susceptible tuberculosis. Uh, Payam, should should these patients be treated with a regimen of rifampin, ethambutol, and pyrazinamide for six months with or without the inclusion of a fluoroquinolone? For the treatment of isoniazid resistant rifampin susceptible TB, um, our, we basically asked two questions. One was, um, should a fluoroquinolone be added, as you just highlighted? Uh, and the second was uh, whether or not uh, pyrazinamide in that regimen needed to be uh, used for the full six months, or rather it could be shortened to two months. Uh, we found that in response to the first question, that adding a fluoroquinolone to uh, rifampin, ethambutol, and pyrazinamide for six months um, was associated with significantly greater treatment success. Uh, the odds, uh, the adjusted odds ratio was almost threefold higher for um, treatment success when a fluoroquinolone was added um, there wasn't a really a significant effect on mortality. There was actually, if anything, maybe a slight a reduction um, in the point estimate, but it wasn't significant. Uh, and then there was no effect on acquiring rifampicin resistance in using fluoroquinolone. Um, so as such, we do suggest adding a later generation quinolone to a six-month regimen of daily rifampin, ethambutol, and pyrazinamide for patients with isoniazid-resistant TB, and this is conditional re recommendation with very low certainty in the evidence. So staying with isoniazid-resistant and rifampin-susceptible tuberculosis, when you're treating with fluoroquinolone, rifampin, ethambutol, and pyrazinamide for six months, should the pyrazinamide be for the first two months or for the whole six months? For, the, for again, for isoniazid-resistant rifampin-susceptible TB, um, when we evaluated the impact of shortening the duration of pyrazinamide, uh, which, we, uh, which we had data on a range from one to three months of pyrazinamide use in a regimen that also contained a fluoroquinolone, uh, the treatment success was very high, um, albeit with a small sample size of 118 patients, 117 of 118 achieved treatment success. And so based on that, uh, the committee uh, suggested that um, the duration of pyrazinamide can be shortened to two months in selected situations. And these would be those that have generally lower burden of disease. So, uh, you know, patients who have non-cavitary tuberculosis uh, or perhaps experience toxicity from the pyrazinamide and cannot take it for the full six months. Uh, and so this was a conditional recommendation with very low certainty in the evidence, but uh, in selected patients, I think this, uh, the, the panel felt that this regimen was uh, safe and effective. So the next area addressed is the role of surgery as an adjunctive treatment for multidrug resistant tuberculosis. Uh, specifically, Terry, does resective lung surgery improve outcomes in patients on antimicrobial therapy? The simple answer to this question uh, is uh, it depends. This is a fascinating area with uh, more than a century of history, and surgery was one of the first therapeutic approaches for treating TB, um, but it was largely replaced by chemotherapy regimens um, starting in the uh, 1960s. Several scientific societies suggest surgery, surgery for MDR-TB based on observational ret retrospective studies with indications uh, including failure of drug therapy, relapse, and localized pulmonary TB, or extensive pulmonary TB with clinical complications like hemoptysis uh, or empyema. 
published evidence and recent meta-analyses have found that elective partial lung resection together with a recommended MDR or XDR-TB regimen can improve outcomes in selected cases. After an, ex an extensive review of the literature, our panel uh, concluded that partial lung resection can be used as an adjunctive therapeutic op option uh, in combination with an MDR-TB regimen, particularly when clinical judgment and bacteriological and radiographic data suggest that there is a strong risk of relapse or treatment failure if we're using a medical regimen alone. Um, but basically, use or non-use surgery should be very case-dependent. So the final recommendation is about the management of contacts exposed to infectious patients with multidrug-resistant tuberculosis. Uh, Payam, should contacts be offered treatment for latent TB, or should they just be observed? Thanks, John. Yes, the, uh, uh, this is a notable uh, recommendation for this guideline, as um, really there was lack of guidance uh, in prior uh, documents as to how to optimally handle contacts with multidrug-resistant TB um, cases. Uh, we found using data from five comparison studies uh, and a systematic review of 21 public, published observational studies that there indeed was a uh, re incidence reduction when taking therapy versus not, a nearly 90% uh, uh, estimated incidence reduction. Uh, and so we do suggest offering treatment for latent TB infection uh, for contacts to patients with MDR-TB versus observation alone. This is a conditional recommendation based on very low certainty in the evidence. Uh, what goes further uh, in the guideline is is around the sort of regimen to use. Um, and in, in this regard, the, the historically, uh, again, in a contact, you cannot be sure that the patient, uh, this, this individual, has the same strain as the index case that may be infected from prior exposures in the community. And long practice, uh, practice for, from, for a long time has been uh, either to offer these individuals just plain isoniazid uh, with, uh, with some evidence showing that uh, the, uh, that alone reduces the uh, incidence of TB in contacts. Um, but in the analyses that we conducted, we've, we found um, an evidence uh, supportive of um, a six to 12 month uh, duration of therapy with a later generation quinolone um, alone or with a second drug. Um, on the basis of drug susceptibility of the source case, uh, M. tuberculosis, M. tuberculosis um, isolate. Uh, however, um, on the basis of the evidence of increased toxicity and some adverse events, and frankly, uh, discontinuations, uh, when pyrazinamide was included in the regimen, and those discontinuations were as high as 51% of patients in, in some of these studies, uh, we deem that prisonamide should not be routinely used as a second drug. Um, uh, so, the, again, uh, a step forward in how to manage contacts with a bit more precision around which regimen to use, but certainly this is another area that needs uh, clinical trials to, to really identify the optimal therapies for contacts. Now, the guidelines also discuss the treatment of multidrug-resistant tuberculosis in special circumstances. Terry, can you briefly highlight the recommendations in HIV disease, children and pregnant women? So for each of those, uh, we need to let our listeners know that our panel did not rely on data from our individual patient data analysis to uh, develop recommendations uh, specific for these groups um, because our data were uh, far too few uh, for those who have HIV uh, or who were children or who were pregnant. Um, so instead, we just performed extensive literature reviews to inform the work group and then based our recommendations on expert opinion. For HIV disease, uh, we noted that the management of MDR-TB can be significantly more complex uh, among uh, patients with HIV infection. And uh, the, such patients who have uh, MDR-TB um, pose unique challenges uh, in their care. Um, because of you know the potential of 
drug-drug interactions. Uh, there's a high uh, pill burden uh, of combined antiretroviral therapy together with expanded TB drug therapy. Uh, and then there are the difficulties in managing iris immune constitution inflammatory syndrome. And, uh, and then, of course, the, the management of concurrent HIV-associated uh, opportunistic diseases. Um, so the, the consensus was that the management can best be performed by a multidisciplinary care team that composed of health, health providers who have real experience with MDR, TB, and HIV, and public health case management. Uh, in the United States, MDR-TB experts with expertise in managing uh, HIV as a comorbidity uh, can be identified through state health department uh, TB control programs and in the CDC-sponsored uh, TB centers of excellence for training, education, and medical consultation. Those are the COEs. There are four of them, university-based programs around the country. And for other countries, MDR-TB experts with expertise in managing HIV can be identified through national TB control programs uh, or through uh, the uh, international MDR-TB expert groups such as uh, network groups such as uh, the Global TB Network. For children with MDR-TB, uh, we made the uh, same recommendations as the ones that we can make for adults with respect to the choice of drugs, composition of regimens, and durations of treatment, um, all based on a separate individual patient data meta-analysis of 975 children with MDR-TB from 18 countries. Um, uh, excellent treatment outcomes have been de demonstrated in trials and in extensive uh, clinical experience with children with MDR, XDR-TB, using individual treatment regimens with the currently available drugs. The greatest difficulties uh, have been recognizing that a child uh, uh, with uh, uh, MDR-TB may have a lot of intolerability with in injectable drugs. And uh, fortunately, uh, with the newer oral drug regimens uh, that include uh, Bedaclin and delaminid pediatricians uh, with expertise in MDRTB believe that most children with MDRTB likely can be cured using an all an all oral drug regimen. For pregnant women, uh, the data on MDRTB treatment is very sparse, and based on limited data available, our panel concluded that there is evidence to support the treatment of MDRTB during pregnancy, uh, including the prescription of uh, second-line drugs. However, most of the second-line drugs are uh, pregnancy category C, according to uh, the U.S. FDA. And that is to say, animal uh, reproduction studies with these second-line drugs have shown adverse effects on the fetus, and there are no adequate and well-controlled studies in humans, but the potential benefits may warrant use of the drug in pregnant women, despite potential risks. Two exceptions to this broad Category C classification are uh, bedaquiline and meropenem, uh, both of which are classified as category B. That means that uh, animal reproduction studies have failed to demonstrate a risk to the fetus, and there are no adequate uh, well-controlled studies uh, in humans. And the uh, other major exception to that inclusion uh, uh, is uh, a second-line drug that is uh, uh, the amino uh, aminoglycosides, and those are category D um, for the FDA, and that is, as for them, there's a positive evidence of human fetal risk based on adverse reaction data. Um, and so, um, despite the low cure rates reported in the literature, our panel believes that the benefits of treating the mother, the child, and the community outweigh the harms. All that being said, 
there's no evidence to support one particular regimen. Uh, however, in pregnant women, there are effective alternative regimens. Most MDR uh, TB experts uh, uh, advise avoiding um, aminoglycosides and also avoiding ethionamide because of the associated nausea and vomiting uh, that could uh, be complex uh, in, in, in dealing with the, the pregnant patient. Yeah, I, I think one thing that uh, was uh, learning through this process of developing this guideline around special populations was that, you know, that there is a paucity of evidence, and, and Terry highlighted this. Um, I don't know that everyone appreciates um, that you know, children, uh, that there's an estimated 1 million cases out of the 10 million each year are in children, that if you were to combine pregnant women, postpartum women, children, and HIV-infected patients, that's contributes approximately 20% of the global TB burden. Well, uh, and yet these populations are you know, largely excluded from TB clinical trials, and that leads to essentially um, challenges in making decisions around these practice, practice guidelines and what the best therapeutics are for these populations. So I think this underscores, again, um, the realization, the affirmation, if you will, of the need for um, inclusion of special populations in um, high-quality clinical, uh, randomized clinical trials, uh, wherever feasible, in ethically uh, you know, managed ways using um, input from uh, trialists, maternal child clinical experts, ethicists, and regular, regulatory bodies. Because until we do that, um, we're going to continue to uh, have uh, uh, face, we're going to continue to face the situation wherein we have um, very little evidence to make decisions around how best to handle these special populations. So finally, just before we conclude this podcast, uh, the World Health Organization has also recently developed guidelines on drug-resistant tuberculosis treatment. Pam, what are the key differences between these guidelines and the ones we've discussed today? There, there actually is more um, in common than, than not, uh, but the, some of the main points are that the 2019 WHO consolidated guidelines on drug-resistant TB uh, were based on um, this same individual patient data set, which was expanded um, uh, since they had data sets received in 2018 from several countries. Uh, and also had some sets of data removed. Uh, but in total, despite the changes in the data sets, um, the WHO and these ATS, CDC, ERS, IDSA recommendations are largely concordant um, as they were derived um, uh, concurrently using similar approaches, the grade methodology that uh, Terry described, and um, we're really informed, again, through this individual patient data meta-analysis technique. Um, some notable uh, differences are listed in the document, uh, and I recommend uh, readers uh, go to the document. I think some of the highlights are that um, uh, the WHO recommendations retained um, um, the concept of incorporating injectables uh, as def defining parts or components of the intensive phase. Um, so the definition of the phases was linked to injectables, whereas our guideline is written in a way that we anticipate that the regimens um, will over time um, become all oral uh, and um, thus uh, anchoring the definition of the, in the intensive phase to the use of injectable is, is likely to go away. It just won't be practical. Um, and I would, I should point out that the WHO does continually update their guidelines, and I would anticipate that some of the changes I'm describing may go away with the next um, uh, release of a guideline, which could, which uh, I anticipate will happen actually before the end of this year uh, for the WHO. Um, the other area that I think was notable was that. Uh, um, we felt that a minimum number of uh, five drugs was needed at the uh, start of therapy, uh, whereas the WHO guidelines uh, committee um, chose four uh, for their uh, guidance. Uh, I think that might be um, in part related to um, the, the 
inclusion of newer data sets that have some of the drugs we discussed at the um, top of the hour, the bedaquiline, uh, the nasolid uh, inclusion does have higher potency as some of the other drugs. And so this difference between four and five may be related to that. Um, but again, this is uh, just uh, my trying to read um, into the, the, the re really the data uh, and, and understanding the, the, the perhaps the effect that those drugs may have had on decision-making. Um, we recommended five medicines um, uh, on the basis of the analyses that we, we showed in the, in the guidelines. And we also, very, very importantly, uh, anticipate the toxicities related to the MDRTB drugs are uh, frequent and are well-documented to be frequent. Uh, and therefore, it's not unlikely that one or more agents would need to be held or permanently discontinued within the first six months. And that's why our panel opted for five agents at the beginning. The 2019 uh, WHO guidelines retained uh, a recommendation for the standardized nine to two 12-month shorter course regimen that we discussed earlier. We did not. We opted for a research recommendation for that. And in regard to the kind of approach to composing a regimen, you know, our, our stepwise selection of agents was slightly different from the WHO guidance, uh, which, which essentially developed three groupings for, for the drugs. Um, but, but in effect, um, uh, the, the an overall approach is quite similar in starting with the most potent and most safe all oral drugs and then sort of working your way down the stepwise, the list of options until you have a effective regimen to offer the patient. Finally, the, I think one of the notable differences is that in isoniazid-resistant TB, uh, the WHO did not provide an option for reducing the duration of pyrazinamide um, under the situations that uh, we we recommended uh, under our panel. So uh, in the WHO guidance, they have opted for pyrazinamide to be used to the full six months, whereas, as I noted, for our guidelines, we, that can be reduced in selected populations to two months, therefore improving the tolerability and hopefully uh, the safety and completion rates of, of that regimen. Thank you very much indeed. So I, I'd like to thank Dr. Chopra and Dr. Nihid uh, very much for doing this uh, to the listener to read the article discussed in this podcast please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org to listen to more episodes of out of the blue visit our page on itunes or google play you can also uh, subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available uh, thanks for listening and, and have a great day